So glad that you're here. I want to continue on and just read our epistle for the day. It's 1 Corinthians 12. It says, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discernment of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. All these are activated by one and the same Spirit, who allots to each one individually, just as the Spirit chooses." I think one of the beautiful things about our human journey is just all the uniqueness of the expressions of humans. As I just look around the room and see all the unique personalities and the way that you uh, express yourself in the world is quite fascinating. Now, in the psychological world, um, you know, there's this ongoing debate. How do, we, how do we become who we are? Is it is it nature? Is it nurture? Is there a certain amount that we're just born this way? Is it a certain amount of what happens to us in life? Was well, a father of four, and now the grandfather of five, we just had a little new one this week, which is way cool. Um, but as a father of four, I noticed that each one of them, two boys and two girls, sometimes you know, even the same gender, often popped out different. Before there was a whole lot of nurture time, they just seemed like they expressed themselves uniquely different. Now, as a counselor for 40 years, I know that also what happens to us has a huge impact on us and who we become. And so when asked that question, is it nature or nurture? I have to say yes and yes. It has to be both of these. Now, I think that this discussion of Paul about these gifts surely had to be partly because if there hadn't been already, there was going to be some debate over which are the most important ones, which are the most important gifts or the best gifts to have. Uh, I am so glad that we don't argue about that kind of stuff anymore in our culture, that people don't argue about what's the better way to think and what's the better beliefs to have, right? We just don't have any of that anymore, do we? Yeah, right. Um, And of course, we all know that the way to be in the world is the way we are, right? I mean, isn't that correct? And so it's this quite fascinating thing that... uh, um, that happens in our world where all this beautiful diversity, and yet we're trying to figure out which is the right way to be. I think the most important question is what, with the way that we are and who we are, what are we supposed to be about? What are we supposed to be doing in the world? And the, the discussion that happens um, with, with the disciples and Jesus um, you know, Jesus has asked these questions of what's the most important way to be? What are the most powerful commandments, the way that we're supposed to act in the world? And of course, his response is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I want to suggest that the best way for us to do these things 
The best way for us to love God and to love our neighbor is to be fully who we have been designed to be, to be fully alive in our expression in the world. Irenaeus, one of the church fathers, said that man fully alive is the glory of God. It's an amazing thing. How do we become fully alive? Genesis 1 starts out, and God talks about making us in his own image, that we are made in his likeness. So every one of you reflect God. You're little, what we call little icons, that you're reflectors of the nature of God. Now, there's not any one of us that reflects all of God, right? Uh, He's way beyond that. We're all little slivers. We're all parts of the reflection of who God is and what he's about. And yet, we are broken or limited or wounded icons that we all have had experiences in our life that have impacted us in a way that the way that we were originally created has been fractured. We learn pretty quickly in life that I need to, I need to be a certain way to make certain people happy around me, a certain way to live up to certain standards um, in the world. And so we developed some coping strategies that we would call them, some ways of being that don't reflect the nature of God in the best way possible. So what do we do with that? How, how, do, we, how do we walk this out? How do we walk our brokenness out in ways that can be transformed? Now, for some of you, your brokenness or wounding that you've had is really severe. Some of you may have had a an alcoholic father who was impossible to please, or, or he had some aholic. He may have been a workaholic. He may have been some way that was just impossible to, for you to live up to that standard. And so you've developed a certain way to live in life that you are trying to please others to get love from them in some way. There are some of you that have felt abandoned in life, that somebody just was not present to take care of you. And so you learn pretty quick that I'm going to make sure that if I'm in any kind of relationship, I'm going to make sure the person I'm with is going to treat me a certain way, that they would never leave me. Or I'm just going to keep myself apart from people because it's too risky. Um, They might hurt me. There are some of you that have literally been abused and you have felt that I must not be valuable. I must not be important enough to be treated with love and care. And so there's a a carrying this sense that I'm just, something's wrong in me. Something is just broken in me. Some of you may have been controlled in certain ways, certain settings in your life. And so you have learned nobody's ever going to control me. I'm going to take charge of my world. I'm going to make sure that nobody controls me. Now, these are really obvious traumas. These are really obvious bruises that people have. Some Some of the things we've dealt with are a little more subtle than that. For some of you, there's been presented to you these really, really high standards. That the way that I get my needs met or get love in the world is I'm just going to achieve at a certain level. I'm going to work and work and make sure that I hit these marks that make me a valuable person in life. So we all have these things or ways that we've been fractured that we are trying to come out of in some way. So to the next few minutes, I want to talk about this idea of brokenness and God's desire to transform us 
more into his likeness, more into the original created person that we are, the, the original reflection of him. Now, I put a little chart together because um, I like charts. Um, um, as a counselor, I like whiteboards and stuff. Now, that, the print on that, boy, you've got to have it. We're going to do an eye test here. Um, so some of you may be able to see that. Um, but if, if you can't see it all, you can probably see the big words in the top right quadrant. It says the original self. This is kind of how we are made. We're made in his image originally. Um, we kind of have this sense of harmony with God. And then the second quadrant there is we have this original wound, what's called kind of paradise lost. Uh, Merton calls it the time where the false self develops. We develop a certain kind of way of being again to try to, to be acceptable into the world. And then out of that, we develop a coping self, a way that we live to try to manage this. And all of us eventually face that our coping strategy, what worked for us really well as little people, as grown-ups, is not working very well for us. And the very thing that protected us and, and made us a somebody originally is just not working. And so there's this need for us then to be transformed once again. Now, the challenge is you'll see between quadrant three and four, I've kind of got this little squiggly line with these arrows going up and down. The challenge is that we move into a transformative experience, something that we feel like, that, oh my gosh, my, I, I feel renewed. I feel something's happened in me that, that is healing those things. And then the challenge is we go back to face real life again and we slip back down again. And then we go back in to what we hope is, is transformative, and then we slip back down again. You know, the children of Israel came, coming out of the wilderness um, made this statement that, well, at least in slavery we had food. So as they were going into freedom, they still wondered if I shouldn't go back to the, to the old ways. And so, you know, our, our Christian journey is to try to keep moving towards transformation and hoping and praying that the bridge between um, the coping self and transformation will eventually, God will blow it up <laughs> so we can't keep slipping back down um, into, that old, into those old patterns. So today I want to talk about this um, in just uh, kind of a unique way. I want to talk about the, the different ways that we have developed ways of strategies of coping. And I'm going to talk about nine stories, nine different ways that we find that many of us have adopted certain ways of living to live in the world and to be loved and to be acceptable. Now, again, we don't know how much all of this is. There's some certainly nature in this, and there's some uh, significant nurture in this. Um, but the first one uh, we call the reformer. So if we could put that slide up. The reformer is very principled, idealistic, these folks like to do everything just right. Um, you know, I want my accountant and my heart surgeon uh, to have this personality type. I want them to do everything right. Um, but they oftentimes, again, we have strengths in all of these um, characteristics, and we have shadow parts of us or weaknesses. The weak side of the reformer is we kind of have a fear of making a mistake. Uh, reformers don't don't present their anger outward very much. It's more internal. They kind of hold on to it. And this need to, to make things new in life can deteriorate into critical perfectionism. 
Now, we're going to talk about, with each of these, what are spiritual disciplines? What are ways that we can move towards transformation? And there's some unique disciplines for each of these. Now, all of these would be good for all of us, okay? Because um, most of us are going to find one of these ways that we live in most. We might, you might find yourself on a couple of these pages. Um, and again, all these disciplines would be great for us. But oftentimes, there's one or, or a few different kinds of disciplines that would be best for us. Um, the, some of the best disciplines for the reformer are just to learn how to celebrate, learn how to be thankful, and learn how to say these words, it's okay. It doesn't have to be perfect. It's okay the way things are. Now, this is one of the ways, the, kind of the main way that I experience life is as a reformer. And I'm always kind of trying to look to, to, to fix things. Um, re- reformers can walk in a room and they notice the one thing that's out of order. It's a blessing and a curse. Um, and um, I can walk into a room like this and I can notice the one light that's out or the one something and it just hits me. So, so one of the ways, uh, life experience that I went through here, I'll tell about myself first. I've got some examples in the other ones. Um, so Janice and I, uh, about a year ago, finished a, uh, and she was the visionary and I was the worker bee, but we finished a, a, um, our kids are all gone now, an empty nest, complete remodel of our house. And this, I like to actually do this kind of work um, because everything else in my life as a pastor and as a counselor, nothing's ever finished. People never get done. And so when I actually remodel a bathroom, it's actually finished. And I love that. And so I'd spent a year doing this. I tried to do a lot of this work myself. And so it took me a long time. And I was about 97% finished. And of course, it would take a reformer to say 97%, okay? Um, and I had this few little lists of, of punch lists. But I found myself every night coming home, I just, I just was anxious. I just, I, I just need time to finish this. Because if I could just get it finished, then we could just enjoy it. It would be great. Life would be wonderful if I could finish it. And I felt like the Holy Spirit. Now, I did not hear an audible voice, but I felt the Holy Spirit say to me. I, I did not, it was not writing on the wall, but if I could tell you what um, I, I felt like this Spirit said was, was I just, I want you to take a couple of months and just don't finish it. Now, at first, I knew this had to be the enemy. This could not be the Holy Spirit saying this. Um, and what I was kind of commissioned to do was every night, I want you to go into one of the spaces and I want you just to sit there for about five minutes and I want you to look around and be thankful. Just look at the parts of the room that you are enjoying, the, the, the whole wall of doors you put in the back, the, the, the view that that gives you, the this, the that, the other, and just rest in this and learn to be thankful and learn to say the words it's okay. Um, and I did that for several weeks, and I found something changing in me. I found a little bit of a lightness. I found myself enjoying it. I wasn't stressed every night about, I got to get that thing finished. And something began to transform in me. Now, fortunately, um, I felt 
release to finish it, uh, you know, after that. That would have been cruel and unusual um, to have not ever let me finish it. But um, so that is one of the ways that if you find yourself as a reformer, thankfulness, it's okay. Consistency. Now, I don't, that didn't just totally transform me. That didn't totally fix everything. I have to consistently do that, to be thankful, to make lists of things that I'm thankful for. The second one is the helper. These are the people, you probably have them in your life, that they're just looking for what they can do. They're just, they love to serve, they're very caring, they're very interpersonal. Um, Some of the shadow side is that they have a fear of being unloved. Uh, They have a tendency to not deny their own needs. And sometimes their desire to be loved deteriorates in a need to be needed. And so some of the, one of the spiritual disciplines that we find helpful for the helper is um, simply um, spiritual direction, um, where they're able to sit with the person fairly consistently that helps them pay attention to what's going on in them, because they can kind of go to sleep with their, with their own needs. And sometimes they can almost even be enmeshed. Um, they become part of another person. And, and how that person's doing, whether they're in a good mood or a bad mood or whatever, determines how their life is. So, so somebody that can sit with them consistently and give them feedback and ask, them, how are you doing? I have one, too, that, that is um, um, just a, an amazing person. A lot of people come to them um, for help, and they learned that when they were requested to meet with somebody or to come and speak somewhere that they learned that they had they had to say is this my work to do they because otherwise they would just say yes to every request but they had to stop and say is this my work to do and take that to God and sometimes they had to say no and that kept them balanced the third one we call the achiever these are our energizer bunnies in the world. Um, these are oftentimes the head of organizations. They're running out ahead of everybody. Very success-oriented. The, the main key in their life is, I want to appear successful. Some of their shadow side is the fear of being without value. All their energy goes into developing the self, and their desire to be valuable can deteriorate in chasing success. So I have... Um, one person I've worked with that is just on fire. <laughs> they are just constantly making lists. They're constantly into the next task. And we've had to work together for them to come up. The only way that they've been able to learn how to rest is to have a very consistent Sabbath rest experience where they have a certain part of their week. You know, some people are able to, to work a bit and then rest a little bit and then work a little bit and rest a little bit. Um, this person has not been able to do that, but they have found if one day of the week for a certain period of hours, they shut everything down. Their office knows about this. All the people that are calling them constantly know about this. Um, they don't answer their phone. Now, they were like a crazy person when we first started doing this, and they just were like, it was, you know, it was hard to do this for an hour. But as they did it at the same time every week, over and over and over again, they've, been, they've gotten pretty balanced in this. Now, the rest of the week, they are like their hair's on fire. I mean, they are like just on it. But they have found a healthy balance in their life by being able to have this locked-in, set 
Sabbath rest, where they've learned to do nothing, to do fun things, to just do things that are enjoyable and get out of their to-do list. It's beginning to transform their life. The fourth one is the individualist. Um, These are the super uber creatives in our world, Uh, artists, musicians, and and, uh, the romantics. these, are, these people just amaze me. Uh, I don't have much of this. <laughs> um, these folks have, you know, more creativity in their little finger than I've got in my whole person. Um, but the, uh, the shadow side is there's a fear of being without significance. feel like there's something missing in me. Um, these folks are the most susceptible to shame, where I'm just not okay. I'm broken. And this desire to be themselves can deteriorate into self-indulgence. They begin to have to take care of themselves in certain ways, and sometimes they overindulge in that um, because they feel like something's broken in them. And one of the spiritual disciplines, I've got a, a, a person who uh, kind of experiences the world this way, and they have found that going to a recovery program has been life-giving to them. Now, they don't have, their indulgence doesn't go to a point to where it would be obvious that, you know, they're in an addiction or something like that. Uh, This person would not be your natural person that would go to a recovery program. Sometimes they'll go to Celebrate Recovery. Sometimes they go to AA, and they're they're not an addict. But what they have found is there's something in those environments, um, because they deal with shame so much, It's not so much the confession of areas that I'm indulging in. It's being able to confess to a group or a person that knows me completely, but loves me completely. Somebody, God with skin on them, that can say to them consistently, you are loved. You are deeply loved. You are cared for just because you're you. And it's been a regular rhythm that's been life-giving to push away the shame that they deal with so significantly. Five is the investigators. Uh, these are the brainiacs, the perceptive and the cerebral. Um, uh, these folks, are, they make me not feel like I'm not very smart. Um, they just know stuff about everything, you know. They rattle off these facts and stuff, and it's just like, I don't... I must be in kindergarten. I, I just, you know, I just, my memory doesn't work quite that way. Um, the shadow side is they have a fear of being useless, incompetent, or incapable, fear of lacking inner resources. If I give of, my, of myself to others, then, then I only have a certain limited amount of resources. Um, and their desire to be competent can deteriorated a useless specialization where they, where they just know so much about you know, one particular thing. And I have a pastor that I've worked with that, that um, lives in this space, and his, his congregation thought he was just kind of rude, that he just wasn't a very nice guy because he, he just would stay in his office until the last second before a service, he'd come out and he'd do his thing and he'd kind of like slip away and he just wouldn't talk to people. Um, and so one of the disciplines we had to work on is get out, <laughs> go out and talk to people. Uh, and that helped convince him 
outcome. That the resource of being able to engage with people and to he was actually a very loving person, but he was afraid that 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 he would run out of energy. He would run out of resource, and so it, it's just helped him to learn that no, I when I give out, God gives me more to give more, and then God gives me more to give more. And he also found he works in a uh, he goes to a feeding ministry every every week. And it just, again, is speaking to that part of him that I have a resource where I can give out and I'm not going to be depleted. The six is the loyalist. Um, these are committed and security focused. If you're going on a trip with a group, these are the people, you want at least one of these because they pack everything that everybody could possibly need. They've thought through every step in the whole, the whole trip. Um, committed and security focused. Um, one of their shadow, the shadow comes out in the fear of being without support or guidance, worry about what might happen in their life. Their desire to be secure deteriorates into overattachment to beliefs. One of the spiritual disciplines for, for um, um, the loyalist is Lectio Divina, if you're familiar with that. The, these folks have a hard time getting the, the heart of God from their head to their heart. They get stuck more in their beliefs, in their thoughts, and they don't it doesn't soak in as well. And so if you know what Lectio Divina is, it's a certain way of reading the scripture where you just let it soak in you. And so there's certain, there's certain texts. Matter of fact, let's, let's just do this for a second. Um, uh, all of us could use a little bit of this. Um, so let me read this um, section of Romans. If you just close your eyes for a moment and just kind of relax yourself. And so this person would take a text like this each day and they would read it through and read it through and read it through. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Read it again. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Hardship, or distress, or persecution? or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this person will just do this every day, and he'll maybe read it three or four times through. Um, go to the, when you get to the Psalms up in the 90s, some of these Psalms are just about God's care and protection and support, and he's present always. And so it's a spiritual discipline that helps the loyalists not get in fear about what might happen. They also have to learn how to, not, how to fast the news and not watch the news so much, or they'll get in fear. Um, number seven is the enthusiast. 
These are the energizer bunnies around us, the excited ones, and not just energy of work, but just looking for the next shiny coin. Um, um, my wonderful wife has a bit of this, um, busy and productive. Every time we come back from a trip, she's already <laughs> scouting out the next trip that we're taking. Um, the, uh, the shadow side can be a fear of being trapped or being deprived or trapped in pain. Fill oneself with experiences to overcome inner emptiness. Uh, desire to be happy deteriorates into frenetic escapism. Uh, fasting can be a key here, and not just fasting food. I have one guy that um, is just, you know, looking for the next shiny coin. Every time there's a new gadget out, he just had to have it. You know, he was the guy that had the, the new computer, the new watch, the new everything the next morning. And he felt the, the Holy Spirit challenge him in this. Now, he's, he's not going into debt. He's got the money to do this. Um, but he felt the, the, the Spirit say, I want you, when you get an idea of something, I want you to fast that idea for 30 days. Don't buy it for 30 days. And he just learned to live in that and just be without it. Now, at the end of 30 days, if he still thought it was an okay idea, he went ahead and got it, which was okay. Um, but that, again, pushed against that need that that thing's going to make me feel better tomorrow. It's going to make any pain that I'm feeling kind of get pushed away. And it's just a healthy rhythm for him to live in. Um, the next one is the challenger. Powerful and aggressive. These are oftentimes, again, heads of organizations um, the fear is their fear of being harmed or controlled, constant need for intensity and control, desire to protect oneself deteriorates into constant fighting. Um, I have a pastor that I've worked with that just is um, just going gangbusters. I mean, just amazing in how he's, he's um, everything he touches just, you know, uh, works. And um, he doesn't like accountability, but he knows he needs it. So we talked about a, a spiritual discipline of having, he found two people that could speak really honest to him. And he set a time every week where they, and they were very aware of what he was doing and all the different facets of his ministry. And he would take an hour with them every week. And he said, I just want you to kind of challenge some things that I'm doing, why I'm doing something, if it's a good idea or not. Uh, and he's, he's given them that ability to hold him accountable for his reasons and motivations for things. He said it has become the most wonderful, horrible hour of his life. So he hates it, but he loves it. It's so counter to what what you know, he just wants to go and nobody ask any questions and just know that what he's doing is right and and uh, uh, he doesn't want any you know the, he, he's he's uh, he reacts to any kind of control of others and so he knows that this is a discipline that helps push that away it helps transform him more into the likeness of God and then the final one um, is the peacemaker. Again, I said most of us find ourselves into a, you know, one or two of these stories. 
uh, easygoing and self-effacing. I'd say this is the second one that I probably live in. I spend my life helping people find peace and relationships and so forth. Um, but their fear, their shadow side is a fear of loss of connection, desire to be unaffected by life, uh, de de desire to be at peace deteriorates into stubborn neglectfulness. So peacemakers, good disciplines for them is just simple action steps in their life so that they don't go numb and, and just veg out on things, um, that, that they have these simple steps, these action plans. Um, since we've been, many years ago, I started doing kind of a fixed hour prayer where uh, we've been started doing the daily office. I started doing it on my own, and then we do it now as a church, you know, every morning at 8 o'clock. Um, my spiritual life and time with God, time with prayer, in prayer and so forth, has been much more effective since I started doing that several years ago than it ever has been. Because I have this set time that either I don't get, I, I don't run off to my to-do list as a, one, as a reformer, I don't, I don't just get quiet and numb. And so... Um, so that's the spiritual discipline, these simple action steps that can be helpful. So as I mentioned, as we look at these different stories that we enter into in life and that we experience, that we are dealing with life with, um, look for, I hope, hopefully, maybe a, a new discipline might have popped off the page as an idea for you. Um, you know, we're starting into a new year. It's a great opportunity for us. Um, to begin to develop um, some of these rhythms. These discipline, we don't like the word discipline. That's kind of a negative connotation to it. But these rhythms, these habits are what forms us. So we have a chance to look ahead a year. What, what, what reflection do I want to be at the end of this year? And we will be that reflection based on the rhythms or the habits. It's the rhythms in life that form us into being a certain kind of person. And so as we come to the table here in just a moment, we are not coming here um, to try to prove anything. We don't have to be in a certain position to be able to come here. We come here allowing this to be a moment of transformation. We believe um, the sacramental element of this, there's something about heaven coming to earth in this moment. We believe that the presence of God is here. So for all of us, I would encourage you as we come to the table um, this morning, think about what are those, what are those fractured places in, in your life? What are those places that were limited, that were coping? And how do we come and present those to God and ask him to touch those places so that we might reflect him better? And I want to leave you with one more prayer. This is from Paul in Ephesians. If you just, again, close your eyes for a moment. Let this soak for a second. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God.